Are you a liar to yourself? We lie to ourselves all the time. And the lenses that we use to look at our life through are probably never completely objective. But what about the lies that are particularly damaging? The ones that really make us engage in self-sabotage. Do you think you would recognize those when you saw them? Today we're talking about self-deception, specifically six lies that are very common that we tell ourselves. Lies aren't automatically bad. They can reduce unnecessary friction. They can make your friend not feel worse about her haircut. But there are some distortions that can keep us stuck when they're aimed at ourselves. If you want some tools on how to make your inner voice work a little bit better for you rather than against you, you'll want to listen to today's baggage check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and I'm very happy that you're here today. This is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show where I try to get you to take some of my zucchini. All right, let's get to it. We all lie to ourselves and to others at certain times. Tonight, I'm going to go to bed at a decent hour, or this customer service person on the other end of the phone really does want to help me. A lot of these lies are harmless or maybe even beneficial in their own way because they can make life a little bit smoother or help us not dwell on things that we really have no control over. But what about the lies we cling to more stubbornly? the ones that become ingrained and influence our behavior, and when that influence is negative. I'm talking about the lies that we become really, really used to, but they're distortions. They become central to our belief systems. We call these lies egocentonic because they're in synchrony with our egos. They're ideas that actually fall in line with who we believe ourselves to be and what we believe of the world. We can fall into these lies really comfortably because they make us more comfortable. But that can often come at the expense of long-term growth and long-term mental health. So if we're looking to improve our lives, we've got to get real about self-deception. Today, I want to go over six common misconceptions that I've seen all the time in therapy and that are distortions that can start to do more harm than good. Number one. Tomorrow, I'll start fresh. Today, I might as well not even try. This is at the heart of so much self-sabotage. This idea that we need the clean slate. And then, of course, tomorrow, we don't really start fresh because we're so ensconced in all our none thinking that some other thing comes up tomorrow that makes the morning not perfect, so we give up there as well. It's the proverbial letting all hell break loose because you slipped up just a little bit. You decide that you've already screwed up, So you might as well make yourself sabotage unending and go as far as possible. Maybe you're so rigid with your eating habits that one perceived slip up means that you end up binging the rest of the day. In that instance, though, you're probably not even feeling good during the binge. You're feeling guilty and you're punishing yourself. You're not even getting much pleasure from whatever you're eating. And you might end up feeling sick and you've dug yourself into a deeper hole. Of course, this is all or none thinking and it's most extreme. This idea that you must start completely pure, completely fresh. You've got a clean slate and that's the only thing that will do. 
But why isn't progress at 3.31 p.m. just as valuable as progress at 9.02 a.m.? If you're looking to keep your house organized or save money or exercise or be kinder to your loved ones, you only make it harder to reach those goals by refusing to take advantage of the opportunities right in front of you, right here, right now, no matter how far gone the day already seems. When you put things off, you just get more used to putting things off. That becomes the more automatic response. So try to break this notion of a clean slate. You need not have a completely clean slate in order to start fresh. Related to that is number two, I just need more willpower. The whole concept of willpower, we should do an episode on that because it's so misunderstood. It's used as such a weapon. Oh, I don't have enough willpower. Of course, self-discipline can be an asset and plenty of successful people have a lot of self-discipline. But many other people have just increased their productivity and their happiness just by changing their environments, making it easier to adopt the habits that they want. This whole American idea that willpower is the end-all be-all and we've just got to be strong of mind, there's a lot of all-or-none thinking in that too. If you're a recovering alcoholic, should you work as a bartender and just have enough willpower for that not to be an annoying and tricky and difficult job? If you want to stop spending so much money, should you place yourself in the mall for two hours with a couple hundred bucks in cash in your hand? Of course not. We've got to use the environment to work for us. We talked about this in our most recent episode, some behavioral tools to use your phone a little bit less. Don't rely on willpower. Make your environment work for you. If you want to eat more vegetables as snacks, Splurge on some pre-cut, pre-washed versions of them that take a lot less effort and are much more easy to grab when you're hungry. If you want to be more organized, make things very easy to put away with specific places and designated spaces where things go and develop a routine around that. If you want to do less online shopping, make it so that your credit card isn't stored in your browser And that it's actually tucked away somewhere in your house so that you actually have to go and get it if you were to make a purchase. Now, maybe you've memorized the number to your credit card. That could be. But the habit that you're trying to cut down on, anything that makes it a little harder to engage in that activity, that's what's crucial. It's not just about willpower. So do yourself a favor and stop berating yourself about willpower. Number three, when X happens... Why will automatically follow. We recently had an episode on the myth of arrival. So if you've heard that, you'll recognize this idea, this notion that once you reach some specific point or goal, then stuff automatically falls into place. Things are easier and they're happier. One thing we didn't talk about so much in the myth of arrival episode that's crucial here is for you to recognize that sometimes your circumstances are being caused by your unhappiness rather than the circumstances causing your unhappiness. What I mean is that perhaps you're staying in a job or a relationship that's not good for you because you're too depressed or anxious to make a change. So it becomes a situation where you do change jobs or you do finally change relationships, but the original depression and anxiety are still there, and it sets you up for a major letdown. Now, to be clear, if you are in a dysfunctional relationship, I definitely am not urging you to stay in it. But my point is that we can't assume that that changes everything once you leave. You've got to look at the whole picture. And if you're telling yourself that once one small tweak happens, your life is suddenly going to be revolutionized, 
a lot of times that's just a filthy, despicable lie. Speaking of relationships, number four, I can change them, even if they don't want to change. Oh my goodness, all my years as an advice columnist for the Washington Post, I saw this all the time. How can I get my partner to blank? They don't want to commit, but there's got to be something I can do to make it happen. They won't stop drinking, but I just need to get through to them in the right way. How can I get my mother-in-law to be warmer to me? How do I get my jerk coworker to stop being a jerk? Newsflash, they're a jerk, period. Of course, our behavior can influence others, and we can help people grow when they want to. Or by altering our interactions a little bit, we can have it affect us less, and we can maybe encourage them to be better. But when somebody truly doesn't want to change, we're up against a brick wall. To believe that you can change somebody through sheer will alone when they're not on board, that's going to make you miserable. Control what you can. Don't get into a never-ending battle to try to control what you can't. Which brings us to number five. They didn't mean it. This gets into the lies we tell ourselves about what other people do. Now, some people, no doubt, tell themselves lies in the other direction, assuming the worst intentions of everybody all the time. But what I'm focusing on here is the really dangerous stuff when somebody's making so many excuses for somebody that they love or they're justifying staying with and they're convincing themselves that the person's motives were more admirable than they actually were. They give that person the benefit of the doubt over and over and over again. Imagining that they did bad things just for good reasons or neutral reasons or they didn't intend harm. They don't really mean to hurt us. Hey, people do thoughtless stuff. And one-off interactions like that here and there, we don't need to call the federal relationship police about that. After all, being able to communicate and have forgiveness when a partner screws up is important in a healthy relationship. But what if we're trying to excuse a behavior pattern overall? like consistently dominating a conversation or belittling our successes or making fun of our appearance or saying condescending things or not taking our viewpoint into account or going behind our back to do things that sabotage us. If we're constantly telling ourselves that this person's just misunderstood, they didn't really mean it, they're not really the cruel or obnoxious or aggressive or bigoted person that they seem to be, Why are we holding on to that lie when there's a pattern of behavior that is important data? We've got to ask ourselves in those cases, why would somebody's behavior be that different from their character over and over and over again? Chances are their behavior is offering us more of a window into who they really are than we want to believe. So let's stop deceiving ourselves about that. And then finally, number six, I'll have more free time when such and such happens. There's all kinds of interesting time research or perception of time research about how we think suddenly in the future we're going to have more free time. We tend to expand our tasks to fill the time that we have. Many people cut their work hours or give up a certain activity with the expectation that they'll have so much more time. They won't know what to do with themselves and they'll suddenly have a significantly less stressful lifestyle. This sounds like the myth of arrival too, right? This might happen, but it's rarely automatic. You've got to guard your free time. You've got to protect it. You've got to continually nurture your free time. 
Just like when you get a raise and you automatically just start spending more money on random stuff because in your head you can sort of justify it. We have a way of increasing our spending of free time too. There's a related idea here called Parkinson's Law, the idea that work expands to fill the time we have allowed for it. So if you want more free time, be deliberate about prioritizing and really redesigning your schedule to get you the valuable stuff. You've got to continue to do that. If you want to be able to spend a half hour downloading sheet music for Don't Stop Me Now by Queen and going at it on the piano, you've got to build that in. It's not going to automatically happen for you. You think, oh, once my kids get to this age or once I'm done with this class or once work settles down, well, I work with people all the time who get stuck in those traps and the next thing they know, it never happened. So hopefully these provided some starting points for you to look at some of the messages that you tell yourself that might not be that authentic or helpful. I know we have all kinds of distorted self-talk, but these are some of the ones that I see over and over and over again and seem to do the most damage. So I hope it's given you something to think about. Let me know. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Merity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time. Take good care.